You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. <laughs> Glums and Thane of Cordor. The greatest is behind. Thanks for your pains. Do you not hope your children shall be kings when those that gave the Thane of Cordor to me promise no less to them? That trusted home might yet enkindle you unto the crown besides the Thane of Cordor. But tis strange... And, and oftentimes, to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths. Win us with honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Cousins, a word, I pray you. Two truths are told, as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. I thank you, gentlemen. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success, commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cordor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image doth unfix my hair and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought, whose murder yet is but fantastical, shakes so my single state of man that function is smothered in surmise and nothing is but what is not. Look how our partner's wrapped. If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me without my stir. And new honours come upon him like our strange garments, cleave not to their mould but with the aid of use. Come what come may, time and the hour runs through the roughest day. Birthing <laughs> Macbeth, we stay upon your leisure. Give me your favour. My dull brain was wrought with things forgotten. A kind gentleman, your pains are registered where every day I turn the leaf to read them. Let us toward the king. Think upon what hath chanced, and that more time, the interim having waited, let us speak our free hearts each to other. Very gladly. Till then enough. Come, friends. Hello, I'm David Ricardo Pierce, and welcome to Share Drama. Oh, for a muse of fire. We've just heard a scene from Macbeth. Uh, it's just the moment that Macbeth himself... Um, he hears that the witch's prophecy has come true. Uh, that was performed by myself and the actor Jeff Lum. Jeff, hello, welcome to Share Drama. Hello, thank you. So, Jeff, we go back. We go back, don't we? Way back. Yeah, Bristol. The the heady heady heights of Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. Yeah. What What did you do then as, as an actor? Well, I was I was incredibly lucky for the first couple of years, actually. Um, well, no, I've been lucky overall. But um, I did Twelfth Night actually, my first job with a, a company called ETT. That was great. I had a very small part. Um, who, who were you in Twelfth Night? Well, I, was, I was a few parts actually. I okay, was good. Priest. Yep. Uh, I think I had about priest. T- priest. I had about ten or twelve lines of verse. Yep. And I married uh, Sebastian and um, Olivia. And Olivia. And Olivia thinks Sebastian is Cesario. Yeah. Um, and you know he's he's over the moon. So I was the priest. And the ETT is the the English touring theatre. Sorry, English touring theatre. Yeah, yeah. And that was run by Stephen Unwin at the time. And as a as a young lad to, going on tour for the first time, how did you find it? I didn't find it that bad. Um, you know, not not to overshare, but like my my dad was in the army, um, so we moved around a fair bit when I was younger, and I went to a, a sort of boarding school for, for kids whose parents were in the military, so I was quite y- used to packing. You know, I'd have to pack a bag and unpack a bag, you know, a dozen times a year. You know, t- half right. term, term. So it's sort of in your holidays. blood. So, I, well, looking back, I, I don't remember it feeling weird at all. And also, you know, that, you know, with being in Bristol, you sort of you, you live here for a bit, and then you live there, and yeah. with uni as well. So, I, I quite quickly settled into it, and I, I've always kind of liked that. Like, you probably feel the same, but you, you get fed up with touring after a while. Yeah. But I, I, I think I'm more adaptable 
adaptable to it than a lot of people because uh, you, I know. You've done quite a lot of touring recently, right? With, yeah. with, 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 with the, the Macbeth that you have been doing with Filter Theatre. That's right, and, and I did Twelfth Night with Filter last year That's as right. well. Um, also playing Priest and, and Curia, Also playing right? Priest, Curia, yeah. yeah. You, Ten years. You nailed, they went, no, no progress. What actor can we get to play Priest and Curia? It's so hard to go. Oh, oh, that Jeff guy, did it. That guy. Jeff, Jeff did Lum. it at the ETT. Get me Jeff Lum. Get him, yeah. Yeah. So look, Jeff, um, this is a financial radio station. It's, it's ethos is sharing ideas about money. Right. What I like to do is just um, test my guest's knowledge of a piece of financial jargon. So the phrase for you today is vertical merger. That's where they take a building... And they put it on top of another building, right? In the financial world. In the financial so world, the oh, but only only in the HSBC. only in the square mile, though, not outside. Right. So that's a what's it called outside the square mile? Uh, just just building uh, work. construction work, <laughs> um, maintenance, refurbishment. Yeah. But in 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 the square mile, it's known as a vertical merger. A vertical merger. Okay. I, um, have you got another? It breaks question? my heart to tell you that that's not what I have. I have the following definition, the, the correct definition: a merger in which one firm acquires another firm that's in the same industry but another stage in the production cycle. For example, the firm being acquired serves as a supplier to the firm doing the acquiring. No, that's not right. It's definitely where you, uh, you take a building in the square mile and that's you, not you, right. just, you just put it on top of another one. Okay, sorry, this is, you're right, sorry. this is wrong. No, these are the second, that was the secondary definition is, is built building work. Yeah, building work. I'm going to go and test the general public's knowledge of the Shakespearean word poppinjay. I'm down in uh, East London with Emma. Hello, Emma. Hi. Any idea what poppinjay means? Um, is it a kind of bird? It, yes, it is a kind of bird, but do you know what sort of bird it is? Maybe like a big puffin or something. Final answer? Puffin. No, um, I can't give it to you. It's close, but I can't <laughs> give it to you. It's actually a parrot. Oh. Yeah, there we are. Thanks very much. Thanks. There you are. The uh, old-fashioned word for parrot was popinjay. Mm. So you've worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Your first job was Shakespeare. You've just been doing Shakespeare. But it's not right. just Shakespeare, is it? You did, you did the changeling. That's right. Another that's right. contemporary, well, not quite well, contemporary. Jacobean, Jacobean, sort of more futuristic, yeah. that was, <laughs> yeah. than uh, A bold move into, <laughs> into, into modern drama. Yeah, I didn't like it. I went back to the Shakespeare. No, you went back. <laughs> who did you play in The Changeling? I played um, Antonio, who... Um, it's quite, I quite like The Changeling, actually. Antonio's a character who is um, obsessed, infatuated, he thinks, in love with... Um, a, a, a girl called Isabella, if I remember correctly. Mm. And um, she is married to a much, a much older man, uh, Alibius, who is the uh, warden of the of Bedlam, Bethlehem, so the old sort of madhouse. Yes. Is his name. So Antonio and some other characters, but Antonio and, and one other in, in the actual play itself, uh, f- fake illness, fake, fake men- to be mad. Me- mental health issues mm. or, 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 you know, what we'd call today learning difficulties or behavioural problems. They, yes. they, fake, they fake all of this to get into Bedlam. And then when no one's looking, they they uh, woo this woman. They suddenly, you know, yeah. break into blank into verse and, and, and start, you know, <laughs> which is uh, where you're you're happy. Which is where exactly. Yeah. I think you know, as an actor, you sort of like. I think most actors would like to do a bit of everything. You'd like to try, you know, you'd like to do. Of course, you'd like to be in films. You'd like to be on TV, uh, radio, stage. Um, but probably because I was at the RSC quite early on, you know, in my career. Um, you know, I did ETT, and then I. I did a Christmas show, but then I went into the RSC and I did I did a lot of plays at the RSC over two years. That it's a good and a bad thing because after that, if people see that on your CV, if they look at your CV and it says you know much to do about nothing, King John, Roman Juliet, Twelfth Night, and there's all these plays, yes. then they can easily go, oh, well, this guy's a you know this is a, a, someone that does mainly classical theatre, so we're not going to put him in something 
you know, at the, the 503 or at the Royal Court or, you, you know. I, I, know enti- I know exactly what you mean. So, so it, is, um, it is tough, actually. You know, it, very, very quickly you do get put into a little a box as mm. an actor because it's easiest for, for, for casting people to do that. They just think, yeah. oh, Jeff does Shakespeare. so Exactly. Shakespeare. And also, if you haven't seen someone doing other stuff, then, you know. So I, I understand it and that's, that's what happens. And it's, you know, but, but worse things could happen. And, it, you know, I could. I, Absolutely. And actually, you know, joking aside, I, I, you know, my, my degree was in literature and, and uh, you know, I've always enjoyed Shakespeare and, and that. And that kind of stuff, anyway. So um, it's not a, it's not a huge problem for me to do it, and uh, uh, not a huge. I don't mean it's not a huge problem for me to do it. It's not a huge problem for me to enjoy doing it. So I'm yeah. quite I'm quite happy. You know, I'm not. It's not like I'm pigeonholed playing. You know, the same. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. I don't know. Well, look, Macbeth is the play we're talking about today. Sure. Um, I'm just going to do a quick summary of Macbeth for anyone who who doesn't know the plot. I'm going to try and do it in a minute. Um, and I'm going to see if Amelia can just give me a little countdown into that. Three, two, one. Go. Okay, we're, we're in a heath in Scotland, and there's these three witches um, doing some magic. Um, king Duncan, who's the king of Scotland, he hears the news that his generals Macbeth and Banquo have defeated two separate invading armies, one's from Ireland, led by the rebel uh, Ronald Macdonald and his army, and then one's from Norway. On their way back to camp, Macbeth and Banquo encounter the witches as they cross a moor. The witches tell them that Macbeth will be made Thane of Cawdor and eventually king of Scotland, and that Banquo's kids will be kings, but not him. And um, then the witches vanish, and that's the scene that we, the scene after that, was the scene we heard earlier. Duncan's men come along, and they tell Macbeth that he's indeed been named Thane of Cawdor. The previous Thane has been condemned to death, Macbeth's intrigued um, and, uh, and he thinks, well maybe I'll become king, but he's not sure about what to expect he then goes and sees Duncan and they, they, they plan to, come. he goes, come to my house, come to my house that night, and he writes to his wife, anyway Lady Macbeth then decides that Macbeth actually needs to murder Duncan in order to become king and fulfil the prophecy, so she persuades him to go and kill him that night um, he, 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 Ten, he goes, he gets his nine, he thinks he sees a eight, dagger um, seven, anyway, and then he kills six, Duncan, and five, then loads of ghosts four, turn up, and three, then he kills other people, two, and then one. Stop. Uh, it's for the shortest of Shakespeare's plays. It's hard. It's hard to summarise, isn't it? Yeah, it would have helped if you hadn't have gone into all that stuff about Norway and Ronald McDonald. I mean, I know that would have helped, wouldn't it? I like, can't. I couldn't resist the Ronald McDonald. It's, it's interesting. The big exposition at the beginning, exactly. And you planted that I, I, image I, I, in the listeners' ears. Yeah, they wouldn't have shaken that off for at least the next. They were thinking 40 about, seconds about chicken McNuggets. Exactly. Basically, you know, he he does kill the king to become king, and then and then bit by bit. Yeah. Um, people revolt against him, and he he get he gets freaked out. He starts seeing visions and ghosts, and yeah, yeah, and and, and then um, and then it all ends in this bloody battle. Yeah, um, and he's the two the two things that the witches tell him, you know, you 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 can't die. Don't they give him this you can't die thing because um, until this wood moves from Burnham Wood moves to Dunsinane. That's right, and uh, you can never be born of anyone who's not born of a woman. He yeah. goes, I'm invincible yeah. because a wood can't move, yeah. and everyone's born of a woman, which. We find out later. That's right. He was wrong about. Well, well he has he has the the uh, the prophecies at the beginning. Mm. Uh, three prophecies. Um, three witches. Three prophecies. They say, "All hail Macbeth, your Thane of Glamis." He knows that already. Yeah. All hail Macbeth, Thane of Cawdor. He's like, "That's strange. I'm not Thane of Cawdor." And and then all hail Macbeth, who shall be king hereafter. Um, that's not the exact line, but that's that's the gist of it. And then. You know, and then Banquo says his friend who's with him, "Well, tell me, you know, give me some information." And, and then yeah. they say, "Oh, um, well, hail Banquo, you're not going to be king, but your children are going to be kings." And then they laugh it off, or, or they don't laugh it off, depending on how the production does it. The witches disappear, and then a minute or two later, a couple of guys come from the king, and the, and the, inf- the the message is, "Congratulations on winning the battle, and you've just been made Thane of Cawdor because yeah. the original Thane of Cawdor was a traitor and he's just been executed." Or he's going to be executed. So, so straight away he's like, "Well, one of the prophecies has come true. I am Glam's. The second prophecy has come true. 
so maybe I can be king. So, um, it, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, you're saying with the ghosts and things and, and uh, you know, people revolting, I think what happens is not only does he kill the king uh, with Lady Macbeth sort of cajoling him along to do that, but he gets incredibly paranoid after he's killed the king in terms of, you know, hearing voices when he did the murder. But crucially, he becomes obsessed that Banquo's kid is going to be... He's like, Flounce. yeah, yeah. He's, mm. he becomes obsessed. Why have I done this? Why have I uh, killed the king and gone through all this pain and and potentially ruined my conscience for the rest when of my life? When the other prophecy is going to when come when true. when it's not going to benefit my seed, it's going to be Banquo's kid. I know what I'll do. I'll have Banquo killed and Flayance. So he he does that, but Flayance manages to escape. So he's you know he's so he's on edge. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. Um, so to jump to what you were just saying about you know that the, the witch is saying you can't be killed. He goes back to the witches after he sees a ghost of Banquo and insists on getting some more information and the new information they give him. And again, depending on how the production do it, you could argue that they're, they're just they're playing about, they're really toying with him, you know. But yeah. they say um, three prophecies in a nutshell are beware of Macduff, who's like one of, one of the other thanes. And who, who you've just been playing. Who I, I yeah. was playing. Beware Macduff, who is the thane of Fife. And then they say, um, until Burnham Wood moves to Dunsinane, um, and if you've got your Scotland map, you'll see those two places aren't near each other or they're, yeah. they're not in the same place. Until that entire wood comes to Dunsinane, you've got nothing to fear. So he says, well, that's not going to happen. Um, and then they say, no, as you said, no one can kill you that's been born of a woman. So he decides that he'll kill Macduff and his family just to be on the safe side, even though they said, don't worry, yeah. because no one can kill you. He thinks, I'll kill Macduff and his family. And then I think immediately after those prophecies, one of the messengers arrives and says, Macduff's fled. He's he's run away to England, so um, so yeah. Before we talk more about your production, let's go and speak with Amelia and see what she makes of um, of the famous dagger speech. Hello, hello. Um, what's how are you? I'm good, thank you. Have you been to Scotland? No. Have you heard about Scotland? Yes. So the Shakespeare play that we're going to talk about today is it's the Scottish play. Um, Mac- <laughs> what? It's bad luck to say that. What to say the Scottish play? No, to say... To say what? I can't say it, it's bad luck. You mean to say Mac... <gasps> what? It's bad luck to say it. It's not bad luck. Are you scared it of is. saying Voldemort? No. <sighs> he who shall not be named? You're only scared to say Voldemort if you're, like, scared of everything in the world. Yeah, but so why aren't you allowed to say Mac... <gasps> you can't say that, it's bad luck. Okay, fine. Well, we're doing the Scottish play... Yes. Today, yes. there's, a, there's a, a speech in it where the hero that I'm not allowed to name, he who shall not be named, <laughs> he thinks he sees a dagger floating in the air. Yes. You ever seen a ghost? No. Have you ever, have you ever sort of imagined that something's there and it's not there? Yes. Can you, can you remember what that's like? Yes. What's it like? Scary. Scary. What did you? What was it? Um, I just imagined that burglars were in my house. Oh right. Okay. So imagine if you if you if you imagine that the burglars were there, and but then you actually thought you saw the burglar and in real detail. But instead of a burglar, it's a floating dagger. Oh gosh! And you are about to kill someone. Okay. So with that in your head, think how scary it is when he who shall not be named sees this dagger. And go. Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation? 
Proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain, I see thee yet in form as palpable. As this which now I draw, I see thee still, and on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood, which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Thou sure and firm-set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear. Thy very stones prate to my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time, which now suits with it. Whilst I threat, he lives, words to the heat of deeds too cold breath gives. Where's he off to? To kill someone. To kill Duncan. Well, thank you for um, playing Muck. Um, Scottish person. Scottish person. And hopefully we'll come back uh, next time and, and play someone else. Yes. Maybe not Scottish. <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio. So there we are. So um, Amelia, as uh, as the the Scottish king, what is the um, what is the weird paranoia around saying Macbeth? I still, every time I say it, I slightly quake. Yeah, uh, it's actor's superstition. Um, but very few actors I know, you know. Do you know the origin of the superstition? I, I can't quite remember. I know a lot of bad things have happened. So I know I, the origin of it. Did, go on. Yeah. Um, well, I know what, anyway, I know what the version I've been trotting out for years. Okay, guys. <laughs> so, um, apparently what it was is that when, w- there was a time in theatrical history, I'm not sure when, when Macbeth was the most popular play in England. Right. So um, if you wanted a sellout show, you just put on Macbeth. So the, the, um, the, the, the sort of the hex on, on saying Macbeth is that if you hear, if you're working in a theatre and you hear the word Macbeth, it means that you're closing because Macbeth's coming in. So it means that you're yeah. going to be out of a job quite soon. Okay. That, is, that is what I know. That's uh, good. Yeah. I like that. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. So look, your production of, of Macbeth was was extraordinary um, in terms of the take it, it, you know, it had on Macbeth. I, I, I saw it at the Vaults Festival um, yeah. recently. Yeah. And the uh, famous Hubble Bubble Toil and Trouble, yeah. as far as I can remember, is a, is <laughs> one of the witches coming in with, with four coffees. That's right, yeah. And... And uh, and Hubble was like cappuccino and bubble, so he was offering them out. It was yeah, you're right. It was yeah. it was like he he made him he made them questions. So he'd come in and go yeah, double, yeah. and then and whoever ordered the double would put that yeah. and go double, and then toil and you know yeah. it was a, a silly little gag, but that's quite like like filter anyway. That you know, great. like uh, to sort of make the audience only realise at the end of the line that you've just said a line, a really famous line from the play, yeah, Double, yeah. Double, Toil and Trouble. And the witches yeah. were, were in a sort of a sound recording booth, weren't they? They had a lot of sound effects that they could use. And Yeah, that's was, right. What was the thinking behind that? Well, um, quite a few things. I mean, like, Filter Theatre Company is, is a very sound-based company anyway. It was it was uh, f- founded by these two actors uh, and, and uh, a musician years ago at Guildhall. You know, I don't know the exact details, but I think they were given some money, or you know, as, as a sort of an award. And rather than just spend the money, I think they, they put it towards forming a little company and they tried to marry up, the, you know, the two of, of acting and sound. Of course, you, you have sound in plays all the time, but they wanted to bring sound in in a way that it wasn't just sound effects and it wasn't just underscore. It was a way to sort of become integral. And so when you rehearse shows with Filter, all, all, all the things that you're going to use sound-wise are in the room. So you don't right. spend like two hours with the music director learning songs and 
or, or you don't do it all in the tech at the end of the four weeks. It's it's there in the room from the very beginning. So all the technology. So so it's part of the really part of the scenes. It's really part of the scenes. So mm. we had the you know we had the Glockenspiel. We had the Electronica. Um, you know BBC Radiophonic sort of thing, as you said, almost you know almost like a booth in the middle. So that that sound is always integral to the, to their shows anyway. Um, and in, you know creating a bit of a soundscape. And it you know it means they very rarely have intricate sets or any kind of set. Actually, it's quite minimal and bare. Uh, it's very theatrical in that way because it, yeah, you know because yeah. you are you are just people sitting at this big sound desk making noises. Yeah. But it, because of the sounds that you're making, which are weird sounds. Yeah. Um, you're immediately in, in a different space. Yeah. And you yeah. played Macduff. Um, in the show, who comes back to, to wreak his vengeance right at the end after his family's family's killed? Macduff goes through an awful lot of um, heartache in that show. Yeah, yeah, he does. He sort of twists and turns and, and all sorts. And in a in a play of like power wrangling, you know, Macbeth, like we say, is ferociously, uh, you know, going for the for the kingship and then holding on to it. Mm. Where where does Macduff come in in that sort of in that sense in terms of the in power that sense? Play? I think he's much. Like in our version, um, for time's sake, we, we a lot you know bit, bits was, was snipped out here and there, little cuts and things like that. Uh, but in the original, Macduff is is quite um, he's quite grand in the way he talks. You know, he's quite um, quite dramatic. But you know, you might even call him melodramatic. Like you know, when he's sad that something's happening to Scotland, he says things like "bleed, poor country, bleed," and mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's and and. When he discovered, he's the one that's discovered Duncan's been murdered, and he comes on and he says, um, "You know, as from your graves rise up and walk like sprites to countenance this horror." You know, it's all very, very dramatic. Yeah. So I think in that way, um, of course, he's a fully rounded character, but I think in that way, he he he's um, Shakespeare uses him. He's got a function in the play a lot of times to sort of help comment on what's happening. Sure, voice, voice the yeah, voice and almost like your your he's almost like your moral compass a mm. little bit. He's almost like the audience watching the play, but there's no real power struggle for him because uh, you know if if Duncan dies, um, the person that should be king is his son, the Prince of Cumberland, Malcolm. Mm. Uh, but Malcolm and his brother Donald Blaine, uh, Donald Blaine, flee very soon after the murder because they're worried that everyone will think worried it's them. Worried for their own lives. Yeah. So, exactly, they're, they're mm. worried that, yeah, exactly, people might kill them and they're also worried that people might think it was them that killed Duncan. So Malcolm flees to England and Macduff eventually goes and joins him and then they come back together with and the uh, army. And move, move the wood. Exactly, they yeah. chop down branches. Well, and, and, then he, and then he comes and, and fights Macduff. Macduff. Macduff, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fights Macbeth. But let's, let's hear that scene now. Um, where, where Macduff finally uh, meets the man who's, who's killed his family. Why should I play the Roman fool and die on mine own sword? Whilst I see lives, the gashes do better upon them. Turn, hellhound, turn! Of all men else I have avoided thee, but get thee back. My soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. I have no words. My voice is in my sword. Thou bloodier villain than charms can give thee out. Thou losest labour. As easy mayest thou the entrenched air with thy keen sword impresses make me bleed. Let fall thy blade on vulnerable crests. I bear a charmed life which must not yield to one of woman born. Despair thy charm, and let the angel whom thou still hast served tell thee Macduff was from his mother's womb untimely ripped. Accursed be that tongue that tells me so, for it hath cowed my better part of man, and be these juggling fiends no more believed. 
that palter with us in a double sense, that keep the word of promise to our ear and break it to our hope, I'll not fight with thee. Then yield thee, coward, and live to be the show and gaze of the time. We'll have thee, as our rarer monsters are, painted on a pole and underwrit here. May you see the tyrant. I will not yield. To kiss the ground before young Malcolm's feet and to be baited with the rabble's curse. Though Burnham would be come to Dunsinane, and thou opposed being of no woman born, yet I will try the last. Before my body I throw my warlike shield. Lay on, Macduff, and damned be him that first cries, Hold! Enough! Um, well, there we are. Poor old Macbeth. Um, it, it did, it did come Macbeth. to him, didn't it? Poor greedy Macbeth. Jeff, that is all we have time for today. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Not it's at been, all. It's been thanks for having me. Very, very fun talking to you. I just need to give the answer to last week's uh, Shakespearean teaser. I just leave leave the show with a, a Shakespearean quote about money. Last week's was the following: "Gives not the hawthorn bush a sweeter shade to shepherds looking on their silly sheep than doth a rich embroidered canopy to kings that fear their subjects' treachery." Any idea at all where that's from? Richard the Second? No, but it was history. It's Henry. It's uh, Henry the Sixth, Part Three. Ah, one of the more obscure ones. That's a great play. Yeah. The teaser for this week is the following: Fairest Cordelia, thou art most rich, being poor. <laughs>